Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. The blind were given sight, the layman stood up and walked, lepers were healed, the crippled were restored. So why is this very idea of healing, as seen over and over again in Jesus' time, often a controversial thing today? Were those healings just specifically for the time of the biblical narrative? We often seem to have more faith about someone's conversion to Christian faith rather than their healing. We've got believing unbelievers and unbelieving believers. But the thing is, healing was, and according to my next guest, is very real. A gift from God, according to Randy Clark the founder of the ministry called Global Awakening, who's co-written The Essential Guide to Healing with Bill Johnson. Their book combines the theology of healing with real-life stories. Their overriding message is that healing is central to the gospel story. So much to learn about in such a debated topic. Randy Clark, welcome to Open House. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited about the, the telephone call. Randy, let's start with your own personal story. There is a reason you're so passionate about the gift of healing. Yes. I was healed at 18 years old from a car accident with major damages to my spine and lots of things wrong that I was um, miraculously healed. And um, and then at 57, I was also healed a second time uh, when I was facing surgery for spinal surgery for a totally different thing called uh, classic traveler's back from all my travels around the world. I also am interested in healing because my grandmother, who was illiterate, heard the voice, audible voice of God, speak to her when she was a young uh, mother and say, uh, go in the other bedroom and, and pray and I'll heal you. And when she did, this large growth just, just appeared. And she told me about that. I was about five years old and it created interest in me for healing. When I was 12, my Sunday school teacher uh, was healed. of, of um, She had a large tumor in her abdomen about the size of a foot basin, and uh, the church prayed for her, and when they operated the next day, it, had, it was not connected to anything, and it shrank to the size of an orange and uh, just, just fell out when they opened her up. And, um, and then I, I was interested in the supernatural realm, not necessarily just healing, but supernatural, because when I was six years old, my mother had an out-of-body experience when... I interviewed in, high, in college, I interviewed the two men who found her. Uh, she, there's no pulse, no breath, clammy, and she had gone to heaven. And uh, my, my, I just matter of fact, just talked to her and my dad in 1879 now, just recently, a few days ago. And uh, she's going to be sharing about it. And every time she shared about it, and for the first uh, 45 years or so, she'd break down and cry. Language would not, uh, there was no language to express what she felt. She saw Jesus and uh and when she came back into her body, Dad said for like a week or so, maybe two weeks, I forget now, that she would just walk around in a daze and say, I want to go back. It's so beautiful. It's so peaceful. I don't want to stay here. Wow. Very powerful experiences. Can you explain in your own healing what exactly happened with you? Can you describe those events to us? The uh, first time I was in a car accident, and I was supposed to have my jaw set because it was all messed up, fractured, and they had it all x-rays, and the specialist come in to set it, and it already had set itself. And he said, I don't understand it. I've got the x-rays right here. That this jaw's supposed to be set. But it already is. The next thing was I, my intestines weren't working, and, and I was being fed through inter, intravenously, and I was also being uh, not only fed intravenously, my stomach was being pumped. 
And I had uh, severe pain. I was on 50 milligram of Demerol every three hours and a shot to go to sleep on. And then my church prayed for me. And the next day, everything was working and my uh, pain was gone. It was just like, you know, all of a sudden the pain is gone. I told never to, wasn't supposed to lift my head off the pillow, not to move my back. And I actually felt like the Lord said, get up and try to walk. I'll heal you. And when I got out of bed, when I, was, I really, it was the first time I lifted my head off the pillow. And it was like uh, 15 days, and I was supposed to spend in the hospital uh, from 49 to 77 days. And this is through people praying for you? Yes. Why do you think that prayer was answered, and perhaps with others who are prayed about and over who are sick, those prayers are not answered? I don't know. I tell the people when I do healing schools, we have to learn that we don't have to have answers to uh, report what he has done and not have to explain what he didn't do. That That's not our... It's above my pay grade. Yes. You're not God. <laughs> I'm not God. Yes. Were you open to the concept of healing before these events took place? Had you ever thought about yes. it? Yes. Uh, yes, I was, but I didn't believe God would heal me. I was, I, I just, when I was 18, I'd just come off of uh, using drugs and illicit sexual relationships. I just came back to God and had just come back to God and had uh, given up these two practices. And four days later, this I was almost killed in that car accident. And I thought God would heal saintly grandmothers and Sunday school teachers who were all over 60. I did not expect him to heal me. And it's clearly been a life-changing experience for you. Yes, and, and then at 57, I had you know three herniated discs and two pinched nerves, two forms of arthritis, and severe pain. And uh, I had many people who were famous for healing pray for me, and I didn't get healed when any of them prayed for me. And I got healed when my own son, who was 27 at the time, but living in Japan, prayed for me over Skype. Half of the healing came in in the fact that I could now I was not in 24/7 pain, even under Percocet. Some days later, uh, the, all the rest of the pain left, and I could even walk on my leg and not have any problem. But what happened then was a guy, a businessman, an oil and gas businessman in Louisiana, uh, had a vision of me at church, and he's acting out this vision, sees my back, the flesh, the clothes leave, the flesh leaves, the skin leaves, and all you can see is my spinal system, skeletal system, and neurological system, and the Lord is in the vision, shows him how to pray for these uh, particular discs that have been herniated. And uh, the next day when I woke up, I didn't have any pain. and I could do everything normally, including going up and downstairs normally. Didn't have to use crutches. And I didn't know about this man's prayer or his experience until about five hours later when I got an email from him, which means it could not have been psychosomatic power suggestion because it happened before I heard it. Yes. How do you explain how that all happens then? I don't know. I, you know, I, I pray some prayers now. Like last night we had six people stood up had metal in their body, and uh, one of them, of the six, got healed. And a few days before that we had a meeting where 27 people identified themselves. They had pain. They had surgically inserted material in their body and uh, mainly titanium, had either been pain in pain or lost uh, movement. And uh, eight of the 24 were healed, and we had their testimony. And since in about three years, we had about 700 stories like that. Well, I don't even know how to pray for that. What I do is I said, Lord, I thank you for what you're about to do. I don't understand how you do it, but I thank you that you do it. And I said, Lord, I just command the pain to leave and movement to be restored. And we're seeing it happen.
but I don't know how he does it. Does it require extra faith, would you say? Some of the people who get healed are so totally surprised. The story itself of what, we, what we're seeing him do and how it got started helps build faith. But some of the people we see get healed of terminal illness are not even believers. They don't even, they're not even expecting healing, and they're surprised when they get healed. But there's more happens when there's more faith, too. So it's not an either-or. It's kind of like a both-and. What do you say to those who would claim that the healing that we see in the Bible was for that specific time of the biblical narrative, that it was for Jesus' time and not for ours? Well, I would say that, first of all, um, that's wrong for biblical reasons. There's many scriptures that teach that these were to continue until uh, Jesus came back. Uh, the early church taught that. Uh, uh, this is what the early church used, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, about these things will cease uh, when that which is perfect comes uh, to, to, to come against the uh, one of the early heresies called Montanism, and they said her- uh, prophecy was going to end with them. And they said, no, it won't, because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, that it will continue until Jesus comes, uh, which is the perfect one, that when, it comes, that when he comes, this, uh, these things won't be needed. And that was used by the early church to refute the, one of the first claims that the gifts were going to end at a certain period. Secondly, church history disproves it. Thirdly, uh, the Yale historian Ramsey McMillan wrote a book on the Christ- Christianizing the Roman Empire, and he's a, a Yale secular historian. He wanted to find out how Christianity became the official religion of Rome when it was illegal, and it, it had no institutions. And he ended up finding out it was because of the first 300 years. It was because of the healing and deliverance power of the early church. So we know it continued past them. And in, in the, the many writings in church history, you can see this continuing. And um, it really picked up again in the, around 1875 uh, until now. And there's more happening now than ever in the history of the church. There's been more dead raisings reported in the last 20 years and all of Christianity put together. So, um, so you've got present experience, you've got history, and you've got uh, biblical uh, hermeneutic principles if you apply, like B.B. Warfield wrote Counterfeit Miracles, if you apply his own principles of interpretation to the text, you end up believing that uh, the gifts of the Spirit and the healing were to authenticate the message of the kingdom, they were part of the kingdom message, and they were to be expected to continue until Jesus came. Why do you think more and more it's happening in this current era over the last couple of decades, Randy? I don't know for sure. There's something about things being restored. I know that some of the people that I've met that have had this happen, or they see it a lot, they had these very powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit and had prophecies over their life. As a matter of fact, I even prophesied myself to Heidi Baker that she'd see the blind, see the deaf, hear the lame walk, and the dead be raised. And they've had hundreds of dead that's been raised. Ninety Recently, a team went there researching him, a secular his, um, re- religious studies major at a secular university. And this woman named Ken, Dr. Candy Gunther Brown wrote a book that was published by Oxford University Press called uh, Global... Pentecostal and Charismatic Healing, and the last chapter deals with my ministry and and authenticates the healings that they saw happen, uh, present, that they examined with uh, medical devices that we were advised by the Dr. Uh, Harold Keenig of Duke University Medical School, uh, how we were to approach this, and they they took the advice for hearing and and, uh, seeing, 
and uh, authenticated. And it's, it's written in, up in this uh, study. It's also written in a new book by Harvard University Press, one of our major universities, called Testing Prayer, Science and Healing. And uh, it's, it's the, the whole book is about the nine-year study of our ministry that they've done and the verification. In addition to that, I'm, on, I'm part of the a theology and ethics panel of a new organization called, and you get on, on the web, Global Medical Research Institute, made up of a former professor named of, of Harvard Medical School, Martin Moreed. This Dr. Kenny Brown is telling you about from another secular university. Her husband was a research scientist at one time. Now he's a, re, a religious studies teacher at a secular university, Joshua Brown. We have several doctors from England uh, and from the United States. I think there may be some from Australia. Uh, the doctor who wrote the book about something at midnight uh, yes. is a doctor. And Crocker, we've uh, spoken to him on yes, Open House. Yes. These guys, we have panels. I was just talking before you, when you called me, I was talking to a psychiatrist who is the head of the panel for re- verifying the healings that's taking place. And this is a dream I had that we need to verify, medically speaking, these healings so that uh, the 50% that believes that I'd like to believe in healing, but I just need to know that there is evidence. Because there's about 25% of the people, they don't think you should try to even prove it. Uh, it's not necessary. And there's another 25% that even if you got the best evidence, they'll never believe it. But then I believe there's a 50% of the people that would be open if they just had reliable evidence. On Open House, we're with Randy Clark, one of the authors of The Essential Guide to Healing. So is that why you've gone into print with the book, to try to convince people of the reality of this, work through the theology and the practice of it? I wrote that basically for Christians, for people who maybe they do believe, but they haven't hardly seen anything, to teach them how to pray in a way that makes it uh, dependent upon God, dependent upon the Holy Spirit, how to recognize how to pray more effectively, and to remove uh, maybe some of the theology, the bad theology they might have been taught, like cessationism or liberalism, and um, um, just kind of removing those roadblocks to them and helping them understand, all right, here's a natural way to pray for the sick without hyper-manipulation that, uh, that is very loving, a model that is very natural. My mentor was John Wimber. I was in the Vineyard Movement for 17 years, and um, he taught us you need to learn how to naturally move in the supernatural. And he always say, without hype, without manipulation, without exaggeration. <laughs> because one of the pieces of baggage that goes along with this is that exaggeration and that, that hyper kind of healing that has been well-known and well-broadcast on television. But it seems like sometimes the TV is drawn toward the more bizarre and to fit a script that's not really open to start with. And are you saying that the, the healing that you're dealing with in The Essential Guide to Healing is perhaps more everyday and, and not so bizarre. Well, I meant bizarre and not so much in the nature of the healings because, for me, some of the things that we've seen are quite out of the ordinary. We, you know, recently we prayed for a woman who had bone cancer. She didn't even know it. Her mother called us, and she had actually was a great artist in Brazil, and she had done an oil painting for me that's hanging in my house. And she was uh, had bone cancer and all through her body, and uh, her mother had called and said, she doesn't know it, but she we've been told that she's not going to live. Would you come and pray? And we went and prayed, and the power of God came and she got so hot, she felt the presence of God all over her body, and we recently just found out there's no more cancer in her. 
And we know that there are cases of cancer, spontaneous remission of cancers. And, but I also know that that's one out of 100,000 cases. Well, I've never prayed for 100,000 people with, with cancer, but we have uh, scores of testimonies, uh, many testimonies of uh, cancer and tumor disappearing. You use one phrase that I referred to in the introduction, that there are believing unbelievers and unbelieving believers. Can you take us yeah. through what you mean by that? <laughs> I found that it's a lot easier to get people healed on the street who don't go to church at all than it is sometimes for people in church to get healed. And so I call the the, the unbelieving believer is a Christian who goes to church but doesn't believe in healing. And the believing unbeliever is a person who doesn't go to church but believes healing's possible. Another thing I think that happens with that is also this, that God is a great evangelist, and often I actually have more faith to see healings happen amongst the unsaved because of this heart for the lost to come to the Lord. The reason for it is that if people believe that there is a God, then they believe by nature the understanding of, of God is that he's going to have power to heal. And so they'd be open to healing, unless they've been to church and taught either by liberal pastors who were taught that nothing supernatural ever did happen in the Scripture or today, or cessationists who believe that what's in the Bible really happened, but it stopped happening. Well, if you've been fed that this is not to be normative, it's supposed to be very rare, there are no gifts of healing anymore, that really creates skepticism about healing. So you get believing unbelievers and unbelieving believers. You've established in your book a five-step prayer model for healing. Can you take us through those five steps? Basically, uh, number one is an interview, and you're trying to find out what's the root cause. Is the sickness due to psychosomatic, which they say 80% of sicknesses in the hospital and doctor's clinics is caused by that. And that term, psychosomatic, means the mind over the body, but it also deals with the way we're feeling and thinking about things. And honestly, it's a, it's a concept, it's a secular concept for a biblical understanding of a failure to react appropriately if we've been sinned against by others, holding unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. So the interviewer to try and decide, is this caused by that? Is it caused by a natural cause? Was there a car wreck? Was there a broken bone? Is it caused by a, a spiritual problem of guilt and anxiety and fear and uh, that's dealing with spiritual issues? Is it caused by a spirit of affliction? Is it caused by a genetic? And so how, whatever is the cause of it in the interview, the prayer, if it's going to be specific, needs to address that cause. And so in the interview, you're trying to figure out what's the root cause of the problem. Because if you deal with the fruit and don't deal with the root, it will, it will come back. And so after the interview, then we pray, uh, we make a diagnostic decision, what we think is the cause, and we speak to the condition. Uh, we don't ask God to do something. We command it to happen, not commanding God. We're commanding the condition to change, believing that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, and we've been given this type of authority. And so we're not asking him to do what he's already authorized us to do. We speak to the condition of what we call prayer of effect. You're praying, like if I'm speaking to a tumor, I command it to die. If I'm speaking to a bone that's out of place, to go back in place. If I'm speaking to ears to open recently, we just prayed for a boy who's born 90% deaf, and uh, he got his hearing. I didn't, Lord, if it's your will, open his ears. I just said, I command the ears to open in Jesus' name. Over the next 20 minutes, he got his hearing. His mom and aunt were just weeping. and So there's the interview. There's the diagnostic decision and the prayer for effect. And then there's the stopping and re-interviewing, like Jesus prayed for the man who was blind, and he prayed for him. They said, what do you see? And he said, I see men like trees walking, which meant it wasn't complete yet. So Jesus, the only time he had to pray twice, he prayed a second time, and then he saw things clearly. 
So we stop and interview what's happening. 50% of the people who get healed, they feel heat or energy in their body. And 50% of the times that people get healed, they don't feel anything. They just get healed, and often when they try to do what they couldn't. And we may go through that cycle, all those steps, several times. Like I prayed for one who was blind once. It seemed like nothing was happening. And I had an impression to go back and ask her another question. And when I asked that question, I realized I know the root of the cause. I told her when I pray this time, this time you'll see. And I, I did, and she opened her eyes, and she could see. But it was through that re-interviewing process that I got the piece of information that I didn't really understand, and I under, which caused me to realize this is not a natural cause. This is actually caused by a spirit of affliction. And I've known that if I hadn't gone back through the interview process again. And then the last step is post-prayer suggestion, which is to, if they got partial healing, to thank God for it and ask for more. If they got complete healing, to thank God for it and tell about it. If they didn't get healed, to encourage them to get more prayer and to try to uh, give them something to study or read that might deal with some of the issues that are blocking the prayer. And so that we always tell people, well, I don't expect you to heal people. God does that, but I expect you to love people. And when you get done praying for them, they ought to feel, be, feel better than they did before. So the obvious question then is, if it doesn't happen or doesn't happen immediately, this healing, what are we left to think then or do? We are left to continue to contend and believe God for healing and not give up. I have one son, a firstborn child who's brilliant, got a 99 on his lawyer's scholastic aptitude test. I had another son who was born with a severe learning disability and was in the bottom 3% of the, all people in the United States tested. And I prayed for him, and he had some conditions like dyslexia and other things. And I'd seen children healed of that when I prayed. But my own son uh, wasn't from the time he was in first grade, when we first noticed it, till he was a senior in high school. They said, we don't know what happened, but he's normal now. And so we didn't give up. We just kept praying, even though we didn't understand why it didn't happen sooner. Randy, how do you think we can have an unshakable faith in something like this without being unrealistic? I think one is to feed ourselves in what God is doing, not what's not happening. Listen to testimonies. Get sources of books where people are being healed. Read the scriptures. Read the promises. Rest in peace. Do whatever you feel like the Lord is saying. Try not to become discouraged. I know we do, though, and I, I, I tell people, don't feel guilty because God understands that. and Just don't give up. I prayed with one man right up to the point he died, and, the, and I felt like the Lord said that that last prayer is just pray that he'd not be afraid and there'd be total peace in this transition. And so we fought a battle right up to that point. And then I felt like the Lord said, don't pray for healing this time. Pray that he'd be no fear and total peace in the transition from life to the better life, which is what he did. And before the day was over, the man died. So not everything, not every person and not everything we pray for gets healed. And I basically say you can't have the thrill of victory and the experiences of these types of miracles unless you're willing to embrace the agony of the defeat, what seems like defeat, when someone you love or know, and they're not healed. And having been a ministry 41 years, 30 years of that being a pastor, I have lots of experience on this, the agony of defeat as well as the thrill of victory. Yes. Randy Clark, it's been a deeply thought-provoking conversation. I'm so glad uh, that you've shared it with us on Open House. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.